Access Utah now, and we're pleased to uh, welcome in at the beginning of the program here, uh, Governor Spencer Cox. Uh, Governor, welcome. Good morning. It's great to be with you. Good, good, good to have you on. Uh, it's it's a new era, the Cox administration. <laughs> How does it feel? Well, it's uh, it's been an interesting two weeks. Uh, I'll say that uh, there, there's a lot happening. Of course, uh, some bad news across the country, uh, but some good news here at home. We've we've hit the ground running, and uh, we've got incredible people working on our priorities. Of course, first and foremost is, is getting vaccinations, and uh, that's that's ramping up in a in a very big way uh, this week. And and so we're we're really optimistic about the year ahead, and of course we're we're starting a legislative session. So there, there's a lot to do in a short amount of time. We have a, an email that's come in uh, addressed to you, Governor. Uh, this is uh, she says Lisa here with the Utah COVID nineteen long haulers. I have a question that I would love to ask Governor Cox. With recent studies showing prolonged recoveries in the ten to thirty five percent of those infected with COVID nineteen. Why do COVID long haul, uh, uh, COVID nineteen patient long haulers uh, continue to be largely left out of mainstream messaging in Utah? And how is the state preparing for the impacts of having possibly a significant amount of Utahns diagnosed with long COVID, a debilitating potentially chronic illness, who are unable to access proper medical care due to the novelty of the virus, lack of current medical standards of care, and up to date education for medical professionals, and lack of post COVID care centers and treatment programs in our state? So, Lisa wants to know about uh, plans for the the long haulers? Well, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I would agree that there's been a lack of messaging on this. In fact, we, we've had significant messaging around this because our current lieutenant governor, uh, Deidre Henderson, my lieutenant governor, is one of those long haulers. Um, she, she took several months uh, to recover with, with recurring uh, lung issues. And, and the truth is that we, we just don't know much about the long-term effects of this virus. And, and medical professionals are working constantly around the clock. This is not something that, you know, that, that our administration does. This is something that medical professionals do. And uh, they're updating standards of care constantly. And so we, we are working every week. Uh, our public health department are working with researchers at the University of Utah, and not just here in, in Utah, but across the country, to update those standards of care. And, and this is why we continue to, to message um, this is a, a dangerous disease. Even if you don't die from it, uh, we don't know what the long-term impacts are. And that's why we need people to continue to, uh, to be careful, to continue to wear their masks, uh, to continue the, the physical distancing, and most importantly, when it's available to you to make sure and get that vaccine. Uh, do we? Ha- I know th- there was talk of uh, long, uh, long hauler, you know, long COVID uh, center at University of Utah. Do, do you know if that's being pursued? I, I don't know the, the full details of that. I know they are studying the impacts of, of long haulers there at, at the University of Utah, and uh, we they they share that data with us as it becomes available. And so I'm sure over over the coming weeks and months we'll learn even more. Hopefully, learn more about how to treat it. Um, the good news is that uh, that after several months, many long haulers are getting back to normal. Uh, but we again, we just don't know uh, with, with the disease that has been here in Utah for uh, for only ten months. It's impossible to know the the long term effects of of that disease. You mentioned vaccinations, Governor. Um, maybe could follow uh, follow up a little, a little bit more on vaccinations. Um, of course, great hope associated with that. Uh, do we, do we think we'll be able to get? those who need to be vaccinated, which I guess is just about everybody, right, in a reasonable amount of time? 
Well, we certainly hope so. Um, the, the, the big question mark is around supply uh, of the vaccine. Right now, we're getting about 32,000 first doses a, a week in the state of Utah. And uh, the good news is that we are, we are going to burn through those first doses. There will be a catch-up period uh, for, uh, for those doses that were in hospitals, which were much slower delivering those. When I came into office two weeks ago, I changed that and uh, made it clear that our our, our local health departments would be delivering. They have the capacity to do thousands of doses every day. Um, and, and so we, we expect that over the next week or two, we will burn through our allotted amount of first, first doses uh, within the first three days of every week. That's, that's the, the rate we're at. Now. So we have the capacity for significantly more, um, but that's up to the, the manufacturers and the federal government who, who designates where those doses go. Now, we're very hopeful and very optimistic that it, right now, as you know, we have, uh, we have two different manufacturers of vaccine that have been approved. Uh, two more manufacturers are scheduled to be approved in February and, and, and maybe early March at the latest. If that's the case and we can ramp up production of the, the current dosages, uh, then we could be doing, instead of 32,000 first doses a week, we could do, be doing closer to 100,000 first doses a week. And that's what we need to get back to, uh, to normal. But our expectations are that by, uh, that by April, May time, May time frame, everybody that wants a, a vaccine will be eligible to receive a vaccine. What are your uh, advisors, public health people, telling you? Um, I, I, we're all anxious <laughs> for this to be done, right? But uh, can't let up our guards, still wear the mask, et cetera, et cetera. What are you being told? Uh, if a successful vaccination rollout happens in Utah, did we return to kind of a new normal, uh, what, summertime, fall? Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly what we're being told, that, that uh, by, by summertime we should be back to, uh, to a, a normal, as close to normal as we can get. Um, again, we'll know more, uh, we'll learn more about the vaccines and, and their impact on, on people, uh, specifically whether or not, the, the big question right now is after you've been vaccinated and, and uh, you're, you have some sort of immunity from this virus, can you still spread the virus to others? We, we don't know that yet because, again, the vaccines are so, so new. But it looks like, it looks very promising that, uh, that, that you will not be able to spread the virus if you've had the vaccine. And that's, that's really the best news of all and, and will get us back to normal even quicker. Uh, I, I would people who are at high risk. Uh, the next thing we need to look at uh, until you get a vaccine is upgrading the type of masks that we wear. Um, while the cloth masks are helpful and certainly better than nothing, um, getting a, an N95 mask or a KN95 mask can, can really add additional protection, especially for our most vulnerable. Um, and, and we also have to remind people that, that getting the first shot, uh, not if you have to get the second shot as well, which is uh, 21 days or 28 days, depending on which vaccine you get. Uh, but, but after a few days after that, about 10 days after that second dose, uh, the immunity is almost 100 percent. And uh, that's that's great news. And we'll get us back to normal by summertime. I want to ask you uh, about uh, events happening at the, the Capitol, the, our polarization, our politics. Uh, you helped address uh, some of these issues in, a, in an event in St. George recently. Um, and of course, took on this was I think the Sunday before the storming of the Capitol, so it took on even greater resonance. Uh, you and uh, former federal judge uh, Thomas Griffith were involved uh, in this. Judge Griffith uh, said the Constitution is built for vigorous disagreement, but it cannot withstand contempt. 
And he pointed out that that's, that's what's crept into our politics, that we don't just, just disagree, we have contempt for the other side. And you, uh, Governor, have been talking about civic charity. I wonder if you talk a bit about that. Sure. And, and that's a concept that Judge Griffith has written significantly about, as has um, Arthur Brooks in his book, Love Your Enemies, which is a book I, I recommend everyone read. And, and it really is about that idea of removing contempt. And it's more, civic charity is more than just being civil to each other. Uh, Arthur Brooks talks about that. He said, you know, if you went to a, a, a marriage counselor and told that person, well, my wife and I are civil to each other, um, they, they would tell you you have a big problem, right? It's, it's not enough uh, under our Constitution. By, by the way, the preamble of the Constitution says that the purpose of the Constitution is to form a more perfect union. And the founders of our great nation understood that, that with all their, their disagreements, uh, all that they wanted to see done, and the fights that they had over that, they, they were trying to form a more perfect union. And that commitment to unity is, is part of the oath of office that we take to uphold the Constitution. Civic charity is more than just being civil. It's about, it's about kindness. It's about listening. It's about learning to understand the arguments of the other side, and then, and then using a tools of persuasion to try to convince people uh, to, that, that we're right. It, you, you will never change someone's mind by hating them. Um, we only change people's minds through love and, uh, and through working together, and that's the example that we need more than ever right now in our country if we're going to survive uh, the, the next few years. Where are you, Governor, on this? Are you hopeful, pessimistic? <laughs> How do you think we're going to address these things? <laughs> Uh, it's, a, it's a great question. I, I, I will say I'm, I'm, a, I'm a naturally optimistic person. I, I, I've probably been a little more pessimistic over the, uh, the, the past few months and past few weeks as we, uh, as we, could, we could see something like this coming. Uh, but, but I will say this. I'm incredibly optimistic for our state. Um, I, I really believe, and I've seen it over and over again, that Utah is the, is the place. If, if it can happen anywhere, it can happen here because it has happened here over and over again. It's a place where we do care about each other, where we take care of our neighbors, uh, where we work hard to avoid contempt and, and look for ways to, uh, to serve together. We charitable giving. We lead the nation in volunteerism. Those are, are really good metrics uh, if, you're, if you're looking for hope and you're looking for optimism. And, and by the way, I'm not just the only one saying that as a cheerleader for Utah. Many national writers and others have talked about uh, the Utah way and that we have an opportunity to be an example for the rest of the nation. So uh, while, while things look uh, certainly much more bleak than they, they have in the past, um, I do believe that we have an opportunity here to, uh, to make it better. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do that because the, the people of Utah demand it. Governor, I know we just have you for another couple of minutes. Uh, we've had a couple of emails come in on this topic, so I'll address this to you. Also, address it to our legislators as we go along. Uh, I'll read this one. Uh, we do have another uh, email that addresses this as well. In light of upcoming redistricting, what are the legislative prospects for implementing gerrymander proof and spoiler proof elections through the enactment of more competitive and inclusive and depolarizing ranked choice voting and proportional res- representation at both state and local level? That's something you uh, support, Governor. Ranked choice. Yeah, thank you. There's a lot of talk about ranked choice voting and what it means, and uh, we, we we changed the law a couple of years ago to allow for municipalities to experiment with ranked choice voting. For for those that don't know, ranked choice voting is an interesting way to have kind of an automatic runoff. I mean, a lot of people paid attention to the Georgia elections, right, where they narrowed it down to two. 
and then they had another election runoff. It's very expensive. Uh, it takes a, a lot of a, a lot of money, a lot of time. Uh, voter turnout tends to, to wane a little bit in the in the second election, and so there, there's this concept of ranked choice voting, which is you get a ballot with multi, if there are multiple people on the ballot. By the way, like like my race, the governor's race in the primary election, and uh, when, when uh, what, what you do is then you rank the candidates, so your first choice, second choice, third choice, and fourth choice. And then as the, the lowest vote getter with the first choice is eliminated, and if that was your first choice, then your second choice becomes your first choice. And you do that, it's kind of an automatic runoff until someone gets above 50 percent. I mean, it's a really interesting concept. On paper, I, I, I like it. Um, on, on paper, it works. Uh, and, and it's a way it also creates less divisive elections, because if, if, you, if you know people aren't going to vote for you, you want them to be your second choice, so you're maybe not going to be as as uh, hostile to your your opponents, and so there are lots of good things about it. The, the downside is um, that it slows down the counting process, and we already have a slower process. And I know that that's a source of uh, of angst and some consternation for many people. Um, the equipment that it takes to count those those ballots is different, so we would have to upgrade that equipment. It's all very doable, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to the debate and the discussions in this legislative session as we uh, as we work through some of those challenges. Well, Governor, I know we need to l- let you go. Uh, much more we could talk about, but thanks so much for uh, coming on with us. We p- really appreciate it. Great. I look forward to joining you again soon. Thanks so uh, okay. much. Okay, thank you. Uh, Governor Spencer Cox uh, has joined us at the beginning of this program in which we are uh, previewing the legislative session on this uh, day one of the 2021 session of the Utah legislature. Later in the program, we'll have Senate leaders. We'll have uh, Senate Majority and Minority Whips, Senators Ann Milner and Luce Escamilla, respectively. Right now, we bring on uh, the House Assistant Minority Whip, uh, Representative Angela Romero. Uh, Representative Romero, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you uh, being on with us. Uh, so this is an unusual opening day for, for the legislature. Uh, the, the public isn't invited in. That's, I guess, COVID concerns and security concerns. Uh, what What's the scene there uh, t- today? It, I guess it probably has a different feel. It's going to definitely have a, a different feel. Um, we all have to get tested for COVID if we want to be there in person, and that will happen twice a week. But, but also, I understand why the Capitol is closed to the public due to COVID concerns, but also to safety concerns, as we saw what happened in our, our national capital a few weeks ago, a week ago. I don't know. I've yeah. lost concept of time lately. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's. Um, I, what are your feelings, by the way, about that? The, the extraordinary events. I guess it was last week. You know, it... I'm still shocked by it because I just don't think this is the United States of America that I grew up in. And so it's been interesting to see the conflict, and I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. You don't think it's going to go away anytime soon? No. Yeah. Uh, I think we're very polarized, and it's going to be interesting to see how um, the president-elect Joe Biden handles this along with his um, VP Kamala Harris, and so, and how the Congress will work together. I mean, we there's a reason why you have a balance of power, and so how do we move forward as a country? But in order to move forward as a country, we really have to look at the things that make us all uncomfortable, and the things that are kind of like in, like people don't want to talk about it. But for me, it goes back to systemic racism and just the foundation of our country. 
and how people were treated. And, and you're seeing that play out at a national level. Uh, what are your top priorities, Representative? Uh, what are you going to be working on, I guess, personally, and, and or uh, what do you hope uh, gets passed? Well, my top priorities right now is um, looking at policing and talking about legislation on how we can work together as a community with the law enforcement community, but also hear what the community is saying and why. And so I'll be running legislation on um, de-escalation training and mandating a database for use of force, and I'm working on another piece of legislation that I'll be announcing here soon, as well as focusing back on sexual assault. As we've seen this pandemic, we've seen a rise in domestic violence, we've seen a rise in um, sexual assault, and so these are issues that are not going to go away, and I want to make sure that we're properly addressing them and providing the funding and resources we need for individuals who might be in a vulnerable situation and, and helping them get away out. Mm. I want to follow up on police reform. Of course, Salt Lake uh, City, it is, uh, there's a task force, right? Um, do you, yeah. think, do you think that's a model maybe the state could adopt? And uh, what you, you talked about training. Uh, maybe yeah. expand on, on what you'd like to see with police reform. Well, with police reform right now, and when we're talking about the commission that Salt Lake City's put together, Representative Mark Archuleta-Wheatley is putting together a commission. I don't know if it'll model exactly what Salt Lake City's doing, but he's working with the community, and he's also working with law enforcement um, to to maybe find a compromise. Maybe not. We'll see. Um, in regards to training, law enforcement's required to do 40 hours of training a year, and I just want to ensure that when they do that training, part of that is de-escalation training. Part of that is also how do we work with people who are experiencing a mental health crisis. And so though that's kind of where my bill will go in that particular direction. I'm also looking at legislation, as I mentioned earlier, about maybe having law enforcement document how many times they pull a gun out on somebody. And so there's, um, I know there's a lot in works. I, I think there's going to be legislation from both sides of the aisle. I think there's going to be legislation you see us all work together on. And then I think there's going to be legislation that we don't agree on. Representative Hollins and I serve in law enforcement, and there was a bill that was presented earlier in the interim talking about whether somebody is um, exempt if they run over a protester. We voted against that bill. And we'll see if that bill comes back um, before the legislature this year. Mm. Uh, Gene in Southern Utah uh, set for three priorities. I want to run these past you. Uh, number one, uh, she talks about climate change. She says 2020 was the hottest year on record. Utah is in an extended severe drought. And at the request of Utah Legislature, Kim C. Gardner Policy Institute, with the assistance of a 37-person technical advisory committee, prepared this Utah roadmap to assist with legislative policymaking to improve air quality and address causes and impacts of changing climate. The Utah roadmap identifies areas of opportunity to further reduce air emissions and ensure a healthy, productive, prosperous future for all Utahns. And then she gives the link to the roadmap. Uh, Jean says, I want to I want the legislature to act to address climate change and air pollution based on the Utah roadmap that the legislature requested. Take action, says Jean. Uh, what are the prospects, do you think, for action on this roadmap? I definitely agree with her 100%. I know Representative Handy and Representative Joel Briscoe 
are working on legislation to address exactly what she has put forth. As you know, we have a bipartisan Clean Air Caucus. Myself and Senator Escamilla and Senator Weiler sit on the Air Quality Policy Advisory Committee. So this is something that is near and dear to all of us. And hopefully our colleagues on the other side of the aisle prioritize this with us. But definitely is going to be addressed this session through Representative Briscoe and Representative Steve Handy. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, so uh, climate change and air pollution. Um, it, it, I think they're, you know, this is the time of year, some years, where you can actually see the problem. <laughs> and that perhaps makes people hope that, the, that there might be action on this. Uh, it, it, do you see any action happening this session on air pollution? I, you know, it'll be interesting to see um, what happens. I know that Salt Lake County is working with UTA to um, put air monitors on some of our buses to measure um, the pollution in the air. About two sessions ago, Representative Senator Escamilla and I worked on a resolution to put air monitors on the track line. We also worked on putting air, air monitors in the inland port. And so these are ways in which we can work with the University of Utah and other institutions to ensure that we're, we're really looking at the quality of air. And so I know that in the works, I don't know who's going to be the sponsor of that appropriation request, but I, I know air pollution is on the top of our minds as well. And so um, going forward, that might not be in a bill, that might be in an appropriation request. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jean's number two priority, uh, she says, redistricting. Based on voter-approved Prop 4, we need an independent commission to redraw voting districts and put an end to partisan gerrymandering. Uh, what, what do you think is going to happen with uh, with this? The voters did pass uh, Prop 4. The, some legislators have talked about modifying that, I think. Yeah, you know, that, that commission will, um, you know, there will be individuals working on that independent commission but again, I, I agree with Jean 100%. There will be a redistricting um, committee comprised of legislators, and that group will approve what um, is presented to them. I can't guarantee that the legislature is going to go with what is presented to them. Again, I, I want to remind people I'm a Democrat. I'm a, in the, um, I, I live in a world of the supermajority, but I can tell you we're going to fight for the voice of the people and and really push for that to to happen but again that's where i I call on all the listeners here i call on the community to let their elected officials know how they feel about that and it's so important that people vote because if your elected official the person that represents you isn't representing your voice i i really encourage people to run for office or to to um find someone who will represent their voice and that is the struggle we have here in Utah, and a lot of that is to gerrymandering. From my perspective, uh, many of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle would disagree with me on that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jean's third priority, <clears throat> her last priority, increase the minimum wage, she says, gradually to $15 an hour over the next three or four years. One reason we have such a shortage of affordable housing, a homelessness problem, and uh, so many school children receiving free meals is that a full uh, that full-time workers in essential industries don't earn enough. The federal minimum wage hasn't I, been updated in a de- dozen years. Uh, Florida voted to raise their minimum wage gradually to $15 an hour in the same election, November 2020, when uh, voters backed uh, President Trump in, in uh, Florida. Uh, what are your thoughts about this, uh, gradually increasing to $15 an hour? 
I, I would, again, agree with Jean. I, I like Jean. Um, <laughs> I have a colleague who's new to the legislature. Her name is um, Representative Ashley uh, Matthews. She has um, filed a bill on um, raising the minimum wage, and so we'll, we'll see where that bill goes this session. I know it's one of her priorities. So there is somebody working on legislation um, currently this session. We'll look for that one. Um, so uh, we, I, I've noticed we have uh, several uh, county commissioners uh, who, uh, who sent a letter, an open letter, or, or a petition, I'm not sure what the form was, the legislature urging uh, you all to delay this uh, session of the legislature, um, I guess to post-COVID or when COVID settles down, so that um, there could be more in-person interaction. What do you think about that? You know, other states have done that. Colorado, I'm blanking the other state. That's I think it might be Wyoming. They approved their budget and I delayed their to that people would be able to participate. Word here is that is not the feeling from the majority. And so I don't think that's going to happen. And, you know, today is the first day and we're, we're starting. Would I like to have more people definitely participate in person? Yes. But because of COVID, that's a little bit difficult. And for some of us, we're also concerned with the fact that anyone can walk into the Capitol with a firearm. And so that's concerning for me and, and other um, members of the legislature. But more importantly, people can still participate in the legislative process, although they might not be able to come in person currently, and that could change. That can change overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, they can participate through um, the state you know, we have Zoom set up. There'll be um, an opportunity for people to ask questions and to still be involved. Yes, I wish that more people could be up here um, advocating for legislation. And I really don't know what to expect as, as we go forward. Um, during the interim, we did everything virtual. We did have some hiccups, but I think our staff were, were able to address that. But for me, outside of COVID, I I do have concerns because of our political climate. And I I do have concerns for safety of not only myself, but other individuals. Well, we've uh, reached the end of our our time here. Um, uh, We appreciate you taking the time to uh, preview the legislative session with us, Representative Angela Romero, who is the House Assistant Minority Whip. Representative Romero, uh, thanks so much. And uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll be talking with leaders in the Senate, Senators Ann Milner and Luz Escamilla. And, of course, throughout this hour, you can email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, and uh, you can uh, tell us your priorities uh, and or get a question or comment through to our legislators, upraxcess at gmail.com. We'll have more following this. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We are previewing the 2021 session of the Utah Legislature, and we're talking with legislative leaders. Earlier we had the governor. We've talked to Representative Angelo Romero. And right now we bring in Senator Luz Escamilla, uh, who is uh, the Senate Minority Whip. Uh, Senator Escamilla, thanks for joining us. 
Yeah, good morning. Thank you for the invitation. Th- th- thanks for joining us. Uh, we are hoping to get Senator uh, Ann Milner on as well with us, so we'll, we'll keep trying there. Uh, so let me just uh, begin with your top priorities. What, uh, what do you hope passes the, the, the legislature this uh, session? Um, I think it's still very important that we address COVID response. I mean, there's, we still have COVID. You know, I think we've, it's been almost a year, but we're still dealing with this and um, access to quality care healthcare, not only in a COVID response uh, only, but also all the other medical issues that people are facing. We've had an increase in mental health. So I'm running legislation related to access to telehealth and mental health. Uh, We want to make sure that our kiddos are insured. So I'm running a bill that will be uh, seeking to have all children in Utah uh, with medical care and coverage. So so those are, I think, some focuses. You're going to see a lot on education. We had some funds that came out of the stimulus money. You know, we obviously saw an increase on our self-taxes because that money was in our economy, and that helped a lot. And we, we want to make sure those monies are, you know, invested in the education of our kids and some of the infrastructure that we need that we had to stop for the, because of the pandemic. So those will be some of the issues. And keeping track on police reform legislation that's been worked for the entire summer and medical cannabis. We're still, you know, uh, we just rolled the program this year and, of course, it was like the toughest year to roll a program, so there's still some tweaking, and I'll be running also some medical cannabis legislation. Uh, so, I mean, we've talked on this program before <laughs> about the fact you, know, you you've made no, you haven't kept a secret that you, I think, you and your husband had uh, COVID, right? Correct. Yeah. Well, and the reason why is because I got it at the Capitol. I mean, from the Capitol, I came home and infected my entire family. So. Yeah, I had to share that I was with thousands of people a couple of days before I came sick. And, and yeah, so, of course, COVID uh, hit home very closely for us. Yeah. And it was it had you down. It was it was pretty, you know, it wasn't just a cold, right? Correct. I mean, we ended up actually at the hospital. So we we had a little bit more than the regular symptoms, I guess, for, for us. And, and for one of our kids, we had to struggle with some of the long-hauling situations and things that are still unknown. So we know uh, firsthand that this is something that certainly affects people in a different way. But we, you know, we know for some people it is a longer situation. And and for many, you know, uh, people have lost loved ones through this process. Uh, we, we've had uh, uh, Lisa from the Utah Long Haulers Association um, email us earlier in the program directed to the governor. I want to ask you as well, uh, she's asking about uh, you know, Utah's response for the long haulers. Is there going to be a center set up? Is it are there going to be you know, anything special for the long haulers? Um, I think what I, my understanding is there's one, we have great medical systems in our state. We are very blessed, you know, between Intermountain Healthcare, the University of Utah, a research institution. We're in good hands in the sense of our, our, our medical, you know, you know, personnel being, in, you know, in the forefront, forefront, they're now in a response, reactive, reactionary mode, right? I mean, they're still right now saving lives as things continue to increase in numbers. We haven't flattened the curve. It's getting better, but we haven't come there. We still have really high positive rates in Utah. But I think with that, I think the state, and, and to the question from Lisa, she's absolutely right. I think the state has a responsibility to be a leader in finding um, solutions and how you know and, and making sure policies are adequate for those families and individuals that will be facing this you know the, the aftermath of this illness that we don't have a clue what's going to look like so i i think with our medical providers and 
the state being responsive, there should be a mechanism to respond and have a blueprint on how that's going to look like. Um, you know, part of it right now is addressing the basics, right? So I'm, for example, running legislation also on food security. This COVID, you know, pandemic taught us how critical it is to have infrastructure and food security. And, and I, I think we have great partners, but we don't have a blueprint. So I'm running also legislation on ending hunger. I and mean, how does it look like for Utah to have a big infrastructure when it comes to um, hunger and food security? We uh, are uh, talking with uh, Senator Luce Escamilla. She is the uh, Senate Minority Whip. We're now joined by the Senate Majority Whip, uh, Senator Ann Milner. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Appreciate, I appreciate the opportunity. Appreciate you uh, you uh, taking the time. Uh, so let me just start with your top priorities. What what are your top priorities in this session, Senator Miller? So for me, um, education is always going to be a top priority, and I believe it's a top priority for the constituents of uh, Utah. Uh, we are working to try to get uh, ample funding uh, for public education. Because Amendment G passed this last uh, year, uh, it actually put in place an education funding framework, which is the first we've ever had one in the state of Utah. Um, then executive appropriations is recommended that we fund growth, so we fund an inflation factor. And then uh, above and beyond that, because we have had economically a healthy year in Utah, that we fund um, restore the full uh, 6% of the WPU. So this should be a year that really supports uh, our teachers and the students in our schools. Um, we'll also be having policy uh, conversations around how do we continue to do that um, in the right way. Uh, WestEd did a study last year, last two years actually, for the State Board of Education and said, we have a great funding formula in the state of Utah, but it can be even better and uh, made some suggestions that we'll be considering. And in addition to that, um, you know, economic development and the full range from supporting our small businesses that are struggling right now um, to making sure we have kind of an overall economic development strategy for the future that will keep Utah on top, which is really important to all of us. So those are a couple priorities for me this year. Uh, what about uh, higher education? I know you have a background, obviously, in higher <laughs> education, uh, former president of uh, Weber State University. Absolutely. Um, higher ed is extremely important, and as you know, um, last year I ran a piece of legislation that brought both the tech colleges and our degree-joining institutions under one umbrella um, board, and what we hope to accomplish through that is, you know, increasing and making uh, pathways, making them more seamless for our students as they navigate between, you know, going on to tech colleges, getting certificates that allow them um, to go to work, but then being able to easily continue that into our degree institutions through associate degrees or baccalaureate degrees. Uh, and what we want to do is we have a funding formula that we use for higher education. We want to align that with the new um, state goal, payment goals that are being set by this newly formed board. And so we'll be working on that as well this year. We have an email come in from KSG uh, who says, My biggest priority by far is for the Utah legislature to address climate disruption. They need to implement the Utah Roadmap. 
Uh, please act quickly. There's no time to waste. Thank you for your service. That's KSG. Let me address this first to Senator Escamillo. What do you think? Um, yeah, a critical piece. And uh, as a co-chair of the Cleaner Caucus and also a, the senator representing the Inland Port, clearly our not only climate change but also air quality is a top priority. I think the state has moved significantly in the last 10 years um, in a in a bipartisan way, which is, you know, a, a great thing for our state. Sometimes we have great bipartisan efforts. This is one of them. But we need to do more uh, with regards to climate change and energy. I think there are this appetite. This year, of course, as, as the, the senator was explaining as well, you know, we're, we're a lot just responding still to keep our, our businesses moving and our economy moving. But I think that's in the, in the work. There are a couple of legislation related to energy and clean air. So we we will monitor in the Cleaner Caucus, which is a bipartisan, the only bipartisan caucus in our legislature, meet regularly to address this issue. Senator Milner, uh, what do you think about this? The the, um, the Utah roadmap. Uh, do you think this will be implemented? Should it be implemented? Oh, I believe over time we will continue to follow that roadmap that's been created. That was actually a project that was uh, that was funded by the legislature and. Uh, to help give us what would be a good Utah map. I think we've also learned some things since then. Um, we, First of all, two or three fuels has been extremely important in terms of helping us clean our air more. We've learned that remote learning, uh, remote learning and working makes a difference. So encouraging, at least for a uh, state perspective, I think we have a legislator who's going to be running a bill to encourage remote working where it makes sense in the state, even after the pandemic. So I, I believe there's lots of work to do in this area, and we'll continue to work on it. I wonder, we had an email earlier from Jean. Um, she talked about uh, minimum wage. So Senator Milner first on this. She suggested what they she said they'd done in Florida, a gradual increase of minimum wage up to $15 an hour. What do you think about that? You know, I think that this case, uh, we've seen the market working on minimum wage. And I know I work with a number of, of companies out there, and the, the competition for employees, and particularly trained employees, we're seeing wages go up significantly in the state. And I, I think the free market is working in Utah in terms of increasing the wages uh, for the people of Utah. Senator Escamillo, what do you think about a gradual increase to $15 an hour minimum wage? Oh, I would love to see that. And I know it's a, it's an uphill battle for that to happen in Utah. But even addressing our, our wage gap, I mean, based on gender and other things, I think it's critical. Uh, data helps a lot. And I think there's, you know, I've been working in, in efforts to bring data so we can show the return investment by having adequate wages true that we have a very low unemployment rate, so that does help uh, uh, in terms of the market, but better ways where it's systemic, I think will have a better impact in our communities. And at the end, you know, we pay it in different ways. I mean, not having people be able to have a full-time job and, and survive, it just it just hurts our, not only the economy, but it also hurts families, which should be a priority for our state. I know we have to let you two go here pretty soon. Um, uh, opening session starts, what, uh, in, in 15 minutes, something like that? Yes, and I have a meeting Correct. right now. So. Oh, you have a meeting right now. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, we'll need to let you let you go. Uh, Senators uh, Milner and Escamilla, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. 
And our thanks to uh, Senator Romero and to the governor. Uh, here at the end of the program, we're going to reach back uh, to a couple of conversations we had just on Thursday. We did a preview program for the legislature, and uh, we talked with uh, Holly Richardson, um, who is uh, now editor of Utah Policy Daily. She's a former state representative and uh, has done a lot of things. Column for the uh, Salt Lake Tribune, which just ended in December. And uh, so this is, I believe this is uh, number two here, uh, just a short uh, piece. Um, uh, She mentioned, Holly Richardson mentioned in that conversation, really struck me, that uh, she got involved, in fact, ended up at the legislature because of a specific issue she was interested in. And uh, then she, with totally no experience, approached her legislator and and off she went. Um, So let's hear a bit of this conversation from Thursday with Holly Richardson. Uh, we just have about three minutes left. Uh, definitely want to get this in. You've you've you you mentioned that you got into politics uh, on a particular issue, and uh, I guess having no experience in it, you you started <laughs> uh, approaching the legislature. It took you five years or something to 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 get it passed. But what would you say to citizens who have a particular issue that they're concerned about? Uh, how best to approach legislators? How how best to have influence? I think there's a couple of things to remember, and one is to be concise. Um, legislators are so overwhelmed with um, email and contact. This year it's almost exclusively going to be on email. They may get hundreds a day, and so you want to be very explicit in your um, subject line. Uh, please support House Bill you know, 39, um, and then you want to be really succinct in what you tell them in your in the body of your email. Another thing to remember is that um, legislators, like all people, um, like to be recognized as a person. And so if you're emailing a legislator, make sure you know if it's a man or a woman, if they're a representative or they're a senator. Don't call them the wrong name. Don't call them the wrong gender um, because, you know, you want your voice to be heard. But the other thing is to not be afraid of the process, right? I was super, super scared um, to to testify in front of committee the first time. My voice was cracking and I was shaking. And you know what? Legislators are people too. And and they've been where you are and they understand that it's scary to to sometimes approach and talk about things, especially if you feel like your opinion isn't uh, isn't in the majority. But if you'll go ahead and do that and you can, you can, comment on committee meetings via Zoom this year. You don't even have to leave your house. You don't have to find parking. You don't have to get a babysitter. You can listen to the meetings on Zoom and be a member of the public who's commenting, and I would encourage people to do that. So that's Holly Richardson, uh, who is a former uh, state representative, uh, talking about how she got involved in uh, in lobbying her uh, the, the legislature. And she brings up an interesting point, uh, I guess, glass half full in these pandemic times. And uh, the legislature is uh, meeting more online. Uh, perhaps citizens' voices will be elevated. Uh, in any case, I wanted to play that. So we'll take a break. We'll come back with more on the legislature following this. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah today. It's the first day of the 2021 session of the Utah Legislature. We're looking ahead to this session, 45 days ahead of us. Um, And uh, on Thursday, we talked with USU political science professor Damon Kahn and asked him what he thought uh, the priorities would be at the legislature. Let's hear this. What are you uh, what are you seeing? What are you expecting as uh, top priorities uh, for this 2021 session of the legislature? 
Well, there's a, a, a lot of things going on. Uh, legislative sessions always a busy time in, in Utah with a relatively short legislative session, uh, but a lot of state to govern. Uh, so a couple of things I'm watching for. Uh, first of all, you just mentioned coronavirus. Um, there's going to be some legislation, I expect, uh, that pertain not uh, some. There will be some legislation dealing with coronavirus specifically, I'm sure. Uh, but I think we'll also see some legislation discussing the governor's use of emergency powers. Um, we uh, have, um, you know, virtually all states uh, give the governor, their governor, uh, broad uh, power and capabilities to govern in the event of a major emergency. Usually, we've been thinking of things like earthquakes in the Utah context, hurricanes elsewhere. We don't really see that here. Um, or, or other major natural disasters where we might think that for, say, a period of a week or for several weeks, the governor needs to be able to take action. Uh, in the state of Utah, uh, at some point, the legislature has been, uh, the governor gets 30 days uh, of emergency powers, and then the emergency declaration expires. Uh, in the state of Utah, Governor Herbert has simply issued new emergency declarations at the end of those 30-day time periods. And some members of the legislature have had some level of unease with that. Uh, I think not so much that uh, that they are upset with what Governor Herbert is doing, although in, certainly there's disagreements in some cases, but some concerns uh, about what... Uh, um, what the role of the legislature should be in managing an ongoing crisis rather than allowing that to just stay in the executive branch. Uh, on the flip side, we have a brand-new governor. Uh, 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 governor Cox has a strong reputation for being willing to work with the legislature uh, and has engaged with them uh, through the course of the pandemic. And so, uh, you know, as, as a new governor and the new legislature trying to feel each other out, there will be some interesting discussions about what the governor's powers should be in an emergency context moving forward. Uh, it looks like maybe some momentum around tax cuts. Uh, certainly some possibility, and that's something that we're discussing uh, probably in most legislative sessions uh, in the state of Utah. Um, uh, there's a, a little bit of uh, um, uh, anxiety among some Utahns after the, the Trump tax cut package passed nationally. That had implications for uh, the, the amount of taxes that people paid on their state return, uh, their, their state taxes, if states didn't take action to stop that. Uh, and so that could be an item that gets a little bit of attention uh, as the legislature convenes in this session here in just a couple weeks. I imagine the, the pandemic will, uh, you know, will play a part. Some priorities will be shaped by that. I'm reading that the uh, Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce uh, wants some easing of regulations on businesses to, to help. Yes, I think we'll see uh, some broad discussions of that. Uh, liability discussions for businesses are a big issue, um, and, and we'll probably see some more discussions on those kinds of things. Um, and all of this happens uh, against the uh, backdrop of a rapidly changing public health landscape, uh, because as more and more vaccine comes out uh, and comes available, more and more people are eligible and able to receive the vaccine. Uh, you know, we'll we'll be 
the, the legislature, I would, the, the one prediction of which I'm sure is that the legislature will be governing a very different pandemic structure at the end of the session than they will be at the beginning of the session. And so that certainly, uh, that shifting backdrop uh, makes some of the legislation more difficult. But still, I, I, the, my expectation from the legislature is to see easing regulations and restrictions on businesses and probably moving towards reducing rather than increasing restrictions uh, over the scope of the session. Some advocates I'm reading are uh, concerned the effects of the economic downturn occasioned by the pandemic uh, is putting some families uh, at risk of homelessness. Uh, and so they're, they're advocating for some measures at the legislature to help to help with that. Yes, homelessness is an issue we've been wrestling with in, in Utah for uh, for some time. Uh, in fact, uh, the uh, uh, Operation Rio Grande and some of the associated um, homelessness measures were some of Governor uh, Governor Cox's um, you know uh, biggest issues prior to the pandemic that helped him to gain a little more visibility and and where. Um, you know, he started to uh, carry a little bit higher of a pro, uh, public profile uh, than is typical for for many lieutenant governors uh, in Utah. Uh, so uh, it, then uh, also wrapped up in this, as you mentioned, is the pandemic. Uh, and then our, our housing affordability issues in Utah, as we see even through the economic downturn associated with the pandemic, we haven't seen uh, decreases in real estate prices. In fact, they continue to escalate. And so all of these factors uh, are, are putting a lot of pressure on housing needs. And so I, I think we will see some discussion of housing. Uh, in terms of, of COVID, uh, um, I, I think we may see some discussion about um, you know, a, a moratorium on evictions or some of those kinds of things. Uh, there's always ongoing discussions about uh, what the level of support should be for homeless shelters and some of those kinds of things. And then there, I expect we'll see some housing affordability discussions as well uh, to see if there are things the state might do to help there. Uh, however, uh, uh, the legislature's tendency has been to focus on what cities can do with their zoning uh, to affect housing prices but hasn't looked as aggressively at other options and other causes of, uh, of increasing uh, prices. And, and some of those are out of the legislature's control as well. And we've seen huge escalations in, in uh, cost of building materials uh, and, and construction costs. Uh, and those are outside the hands of the legislature to deal with unless the legislature is willing to go to some sort of subsidy model I think you're going to see the Utah State Legislature be very hesitant at going in that direction. Well, we're just about at the end of uh, time here. Uh, anything else uh, that you'd like to say about the upcoming session? Well, I, I think the one other major issue that we're going to see a lot of discussion on is policing and police reform. And uh, uh, we already saw some measures uh, taken by the state legislature banning uh, carotid chokeholds uh, in, uh, in, in the summer. And I think there's going to be a great deal more discussion about uh, policing, um, both in terms of use of force and also you know, there's some stuff on, on uh, biometrics and facial recognition that could be really interesting where you'll see 
teams like the ACLU and the Libertas uh, Institute, uh, who are usually you know, fighting against each other, coming together to work together on uh, issues regarding privacy. Uh, and so there will be some uh, some interesting mixing of coalitions, I think, as we see police uh, reform discussions uh, in the upcoming session.